Well, aren't you all glad that you live in an urban center, Calgary, and you don't live in a rural area? Everybody say rural. There you go, Megan. Okay. <laughs> uh, just on a more serious note, I just want to, uh, before I bring this message, um, I just want us to pray for Debbie Ewing. Uh, Eric, uh, you're here. Uh, Debbie had uh, some surgery this week, and it's been just a bit of a battle uh, coming out of that. She's still in the hospital doing well, but um, anyway, there's more to be done. So can we just uh, remember our sister in Christ and uh, just lift, lift her up today? Father, thank you for uh, the opportunity to be here today. Lord, uh, I know Debbie would want to be here. They'd want to be here with their, their grandsons. And so, Lord, uh, maybe she's watching this uh, recorded or live streamed, but we just pray, Lord, that she would know uh, that, we are, um, that she is in our thoughts and especially in our prayers. And so, Lord, we thank you for how you've helped her thus far. We thank you for the good care that she's getting. And, Lord, I just pray that you would restore her and bring her back stronger than ever. Be with Eric as well, Lord. Be with their children and their grandchildren, their family. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, John Maxwell is a, um, uh, this sermon's not about John Maxwell, by the way, uh, but uh, John Maxwell is a uh, leadership coach, uh, kind of on a global level, and he made a statement years ago. Um, he said that uh, everything rises and falls on leadership. Now, I don't know if you believe that, but I actually do believe that everything rises and falls on leadership. Um, I've had people argue with me about that, but you'll see this here just in this image, that anytime you have a group that is going somewhere, uh, that's not it, but that's okay. Every time you see a group that's going somewhere, there's a leader in front. And they may not be a person with a title, but they're just somebody that people want to follow. Um, One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Psalm 78, verse 72. Okay, we'll all quote it together, okay? Ready? Psalm 78, verse 72. No, just kidding. It'll come up here in the screen, I think. I think they're having trouble back there. Um, But anyway, this psalm says about David, King David. It says, and David shepherded them with integrity of heart, with skillful hands, he led them. That's a life verse for me. Uh, I would aspire to be that kind of a man, to be that kind of a leader, to lead with integrity, to shepherd with integrity, and to lead skillfully. But in the early days of Israel, so the first king of Israel was not David, it was King Saul. And then it was King David. He was anointed to be their new king. And David, uh, in the early days, it was a united monarchy. They were a united nation. They prospered under King David, and they also prospered under King Solomon. But then Solomon's son, Rehoboam, was not a good king. Now, this is all about leadership. He was not a good king. He was petty. He was small. He was a weak leader. And what happened is there was a divided nation. There was the northern kingdom of Israel, and then there was the southern kingdom of Judah. Now they were split in two. And what's really interesting, if you read in the Bible, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, here's what you're going to notice. That the southern kingdom of Judah fared not bad. You know, they didn't do too bad. But the northern kingdom was terrible. Uh, They just did not have any, many very good kings who led well. And the nation, as a result, didn't do well. Whenever there was a good king, 
the nation prospered and was under the blessing of God. Whenever there was an evil king or an unfaithful king, a weak leader, the nation also was in a weakened condition. And so we call that the leadership lid. There's just kind of a lid to how far things can rise depending on the leader. And I think we do find that taught in the Bible. So because of the pivotal role of leadership in the human arena, I've been a devoted follower of leadership for years. I, I've read like a ton of books on leadership. I've gone to leadership seminars, uh, workshops, conferences, that sort of thing. I love just anything about leadership. And what amazes me is how just one person, one person can lead a movement. How one person can lead a nation. We've seen that in the evil realm with people like Adolf Hitler. We've also seen people like Winston Churchill that many people would credit along with Franklin Delano Roosevelt and, you know, who saved our world you know, 60, 70 years ago. Leadership, everything rises and falls on leadership. So great leadership is what we would call a force multiplier. One person who's a great leader multiplies all the efforts around him or her. So I mentioned the other week Tom Brady uh, for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Some of you might be watching that. Uh, I'm, I'm a Tom Brady fan, and there he is. They call him the GOAT, the greatest of all time. What's interesting about Tom Brady, just on the human level, is they say any team that he's on, he's a force multiplier. He just makes everybody better around him. And folks, that's what Jesus does for us. He just makes us all better, not only individually, but together as a body. And so early in my ministry, I made it my business to find what I would call spirit-anointed, godly role models that I could model my life after. Um, The world today, as we look around at our nations, we look at Canada, we look at the United States, um, there's a scarcity of great leadership. There's a scarcity of even good leadership. So we're desperate for good leaders today, for great leaders, leaders that are just Leaders who are virtuous, leaders who are incorruptible, leaders who are courageous, leaders who are marked by humility and desire to serve the people they lead. People will follow a leader like that. As admirable as King David was, and even King Solomon, they were still flawed men. Read about it in the Bible. They were not perfect. And sometimes things went wrong. David committed adultery and then tried to cover it up. So as we've reminded, been reminded over the last two weeks, in this passage in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, there is an ideal leader, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He is a monarch. He is the ideal king, and he is the one we worship, and he is the one that we follow. So last week I had mentioned that Many of us today are disappointed with our political leaders. Uh, Many of us have become cynical about government. But this royal child that we read about in Isaiah chapter 9 is the ideal monarch. And he is the one who will, will bring an end to wars and establish peace on earth. He will establish an eternal kingdom of righteousness and justice and peace. And it will never 
end. And that's what Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 says. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And I mentioned last week, these four names, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, they're not really names. His name is Jesus. They're titles. They are descriptions of the kind of leader that he is. A name or a title is simply a reflection of a person's character or their legacy. When I mentioned Tom Brady with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers saying, you know, he's called the GOAT. His name is Tom Brady, but they call him the GOAT, the greatest of all time. Wayne Gretzky. You know, his name is Wayne Gretzky, but we call him the Great One. That's a term of respect. Jesus, that is his name. He is a wonderful counselor, folks. He's the mighty God. He is our everlasting Father, and He is our Prince of Peace. So as I mentioned earlier in the message, they had the southern kingdom of Judah, and when they had a, you know, a good king, the nation did well. When they had a poor king, the nation didn't do so well. And so Isaiah the prophet, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he spoke prophetically, and he predicted that one day in the nation, there would be a, a period of darkness, of gloom and doom, that that day was coming. But he also strikes a note of hope and deliverance. And that's the interesting thing about our God. Even if there's, even if there's a word of judgment, he always follows it with hope if we will just turn to him. And this is what it says in verse 2 of Isaiah 9. It says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And he speaks about it as if it's for certain. This peace would be ushered in by the son of David. That's what Jesus was called. That's what the Messiah was called. And then in verses 6 and 7, Verse 7, he says, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. There will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Isaiah the prophet was referring to the Messiah, to Israel's coming king, who would be the ideal ruler of the people. And when he said this in these two verses, he was not just making that promise to the people in ancient Israel. That was given to us. Folks, today, what are we celebrating during the season of Advent? We're celebrating the birth of Jesus. God himself took on flesh, came into our world, and he became human. He became one of us. He died, he rose again, and he ascended into heaven. And the Bible says he is coming again. And we are waiting for his return. Because everything, everything that we see in our world today, everything that's going wrong, 
Did you hear about the tornadoes that swept through the United States? You know, one of these tornado watchers said it's the worst devastation he's ever seen. You know, just like, we, like what is going on in our world? Folks, we know that God is going to make everything right one day when Jesus returns and everything that is wrong will be set right. And so one of the central messages of this passage is this, is that God never gives up on his people. And he never gives up on this world. It doesn't matter how far we stray. He is there for us. And he is coming back. And everything that we've messed up, he can change it. And he can make it better. And so, when it says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is giving, given, he's saying to us, people who've messed up, sinners, people who have failed, people who feel like failures, he said to us a son is given, a child is born. So over the last two weeks, we focused on Tammy, our children's pastor. She talked about Jesus as wonderful counselor. Last week, I talked about Jesus as our mighty God. And today, we learned that he is also our everlasting father. Jesus, our everlasting father. And some of you might be confused theologically. You're saying, wait a minute. There is the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is the son. How can he be the father? And it's really... Back then, when Isaiah wrote this, he was not thinking about the Holy Trinity. He wasn't talking about Jesus, you know, the second person of the Trinity being also the third person of the Trinity. That has nothing to do with that. He's talking here about his disposition towards us, that Jesus is like a father to you and to me. Traditionally, the role of a father was to lead to provide for and to protect his family. That was the role of a father. And it wasn't uncommon for ancient rulers and monarchs to cast themselves in what we would call patriarchal imagery. You know, for instance, and uh, don't anybody boo or hiss when I say this name, but you know, John A. MacDonald was one of the fathers of confederation. Uh, then they, in the United States, they talk about the founding fathers. So a father was the head of a household. The question is, what kind of a father, what kind of a, a leader is Jesus to us? He wasn't like David. He was better. He wasn't like King Solomon. He was better. He is better. And I want you to look at Isaiah 9, verse 7 again. I think it'll come up on the screen. It says here, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Here's the problem with us. We have elections every three or four years. So you might get someone that you consider to be a, a great leader of our country, and then there's another election and they're gone. Or there might be someone who's not so good, and they just keep getting reelected. And we're, but it's saying about the Messiah, of the greatness of his government and the peace, there will be no end. And then further on, it says, he will reign on David's throne, upholding it with justice and righteousness. 
He's a good, good father. Jesus is here to lead, protect, and provide for us. He's a benevolent father. He's like that for us. Uh, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, I shall not be in need, is what that means. He's a provider. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me, he leads me beside quiet waters. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You see that? He leads us, he provides for us, and he protects us. That's why it says that the Messiah, our coming king, is our everlasting father. He cares more about us, his people, his sheep, than his own well-being. And that's why he came into the world. That's why he was born vulnerable like a baby in a manger. That's why he went to the cross. And he prayed when near the end and he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he said, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. He, didn't, he knew what he was facing, but he was willing to do it. And he did it for you and for me. Jesus was a benevolent father figure for us, and he still is today. I like what this says here. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, um, and these are the words of the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul, who loved Jesus so much, he reminds the people in the city of Thessalonica, this is the ancient world, but this is what he said. You know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. The apostle Paul was saying, this is how we led you. And that's how Jesus, our shepherd, guides us and leads us as his sheep. He is our everlasting father. And that word everlasting just, seems, it just means without end without end. Isaiah the prophet loved to talk about eternity, that Jesus is our Father without end forever and ever. I grew up um, in a home, in a split home, and I lived in a blended family when I was uh, in, I guess, uh, my sister's here, but I, I was probably about 10 and 11, and I grew up throughout my adolescent years without my father. And say with Jesus, it's not like that. I know many of you here today, some of you here today, maybe some people watching online, have had the experience of abandonment in your life. Feeling abandoned, perhaps, by a parent, by a father figure. And what he's saying here about our coming king is he will never forsake you. He will never abandon you. There is nothing that can separate you from his love, nothing, not even your sin, because if you confess them, he will forgive you, and he will cleanse you, and he will make you right again. So this is how Isaiah the prophet describes him. 
If you want to know what God is like, and this is a quote from biblical scholar N.T. Wright. He says, if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Think about that. People say, what is God like? Read the Gospels. Look at Jesus, and you'll know what God is like. Because Jesus, it says in the Bible, was the perfect image of God. He was the exact representation of his being. In the book of Colossians, in the New Testament, it says that in him, the fullness of deity lived in bodily form. When you saw Jesus, you learned what the Father was like. That's why Jesus came into the world. You know the story of the prodigal son. Jesus was saying that there was two sons. One, the older, stayed home with his father, but the younger son wanted to get his inheritance early. He went and he wasted his life. He ruined his life. And when he hit rock bottom, it says he came to his senses and he returned home and he knew that he would have to grovel that his father might turn him away and say, you are a big disappointment to me, son. Get out of here. And he didn't say that. The father ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and loved him. And then he threw a great feast. And the older brother was envious. He didn't understand love. And Jesus said, I'm telling you this story because I want you to know this is what your father is like. This is what God is like. He's a God who forgives. Even It doesn't matter how bad you are. The worst that you can do. That's why he died. And Jesus came to reveal the Father. That's why he told that parable. Listen to this. This is found in John chapter 10. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. No one understand. He said that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. And then later on in John 14, Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples. And this is right before he goes to die on the cross. And they're feeling troubled because they're afraid they're losing him. And he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Then he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. And then he says to his disciples, if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. Hmm, think about that. If you know me, then you know my Father. And then Philip, one of the disciples, said, Lord, show us the Father, and that'll be good enough for us. Please show us the Father. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone, listen, who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. I'll stop there in that passage. So what does this mean for you and me during the season of Advent? It is our privilege as followers of Jesus um, to carry this message about our coming king, the child who was born, the son who was given, to carry that message to the rest of the world. The question is, how do we carry that message? As we see in Isaiah 9, verse 7, his kingdom, okay, three words, is one of righteousness, justice, and peace. Can we just say that together, righteousness? Righteousness, justice, justice, and peace. Peace. 
Those char- Look around our world today. Do you see kingdoms of righteousness, justice, and peace? I don't think we see a lot of that. Do we have it here in the church? Do we embody those values of righteousness, justice, and peace? Do we model that in our daily life by our, not just our words, but our deeds? Because God has called you and me to bring some heaven to earth. Amen? He's called us to bring some heaven to earth. And we have the opportunity to do that during the season of Advent in the here and the now. So in this present age that we live in now, in this world as it is, we don't yet see Jesus ruling over the whole earth. We don't. That's why things seem to be unraveling. It's still off in the future. He will establish his kingdom one day on earth. But it's not here yet. And so right now we wait in hope of what is to come. And we live between the times of his first coming and his second coming. And so what does his kingdom look like right now in this world? What does it feel like? I love um, the announcements that uh, Trent brought and then also the reading that Lila did earlier. That there's a lot of broken people and there's broken relationships in our world today. There's just so much hurt, so much brokenness. We have an opportunity, just even in a small way, to make a difference. Trent talked earlier about this family that just, you know, lost so much. Just a simple thing sometimes, like a gift card. It, it doesn't have to feel extraordinary. It's just acts of kindness. That's how we demonstrate his kingdom his righteousness, his justice, and his peace in the places where we live, work, and play. And so I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. And Father, I want to thank you that you revealed yourself and your kingdom through your son, Jesus. That indeed, if people saw him they knew what you were like. And as I'm praying, I just want to invite the worship team to come. And Father, I thank you that your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, that it's an eternal kingdom, that it's a kingdom of righteousness, justice, and peace. And it's a kingdom that will never end. As we're bowed in prayer this morning, I want you just to think about Jesus, our Messiah, our coming King, and his reign of love. What does that look like? Because you are here as his representative. If you call yourself a Christian, a follower of Jesus, you represent him. What does that look like? It looks like acts of kindness. Maybe it's one of those gift tags on the tree. Maybe it's an offer of forgiveness to someone who's wounded you. Or maybe it's you apologizing for someone that you've, that you've wounded. Or maybe it's just the offer of prayer 
for someone who's hurting or lonely. Maybe it's a gift of generosity to someone who's struggling right now financially. We proclaim his kingdom, and we have the opportunity to do that right now during this season in big and small ways. By letting his kingdom rule in us and us proclaiming his kingdom in all that we say and do. Let's make room for his kingdom in our lives. And let's spread that message to the people where we live, work, and play. Would you do that? In Christ's name I pray. Amen.